the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas come to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, where they receive many different responses to the gospel. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. The title of the message is... Give them Jesus. Acts 14. Remember, Jesus is still working. That's the whole theme of the book of Acts, that he has not stopped, that he is working now through his church to reach the lives of those that he bled and died for. And so where we've come to in this point in Acts, as he's continuing that work, is Paul and Barnabas have been kicked out of Antioch of Bithynia. That's kind of in the middle in there. If you see it in there, it's right there in the middle of the green part of Galatia. And rather than grow frustrated by the difficulties that they've experienced there, they shake the dust off their feet and they move on to Iconium. And that's where we left off in chapter 13. In the midst of these difficulties, though, it would be normal for any human being to ask, okay, what could have we done differently? Or how could we change things to be more effective? But as we see Paul and Barnabas continue along from city to city, and then as they even encounter greater opposition, the farther their journey takes them, we find that nothing about their focus changes. Nothing about the message changes. They intend to give people Jesus. And so as we journey with them, may it challenge us to become more and more grounded in our purpose and in in the word and what Christ has done for us that we might give people Jesus as well. So chapter 14, and we're going to start here in verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue, that's Paul and Barnabas, of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. And so here we see they have entered into the city of Iconium, and it's up there on the map if you want to see where it is. Iconium was an interesting place. It got its name because of a legend that a great flood destroyed mankind. Now, we know that's not legend, but that's how they saw it. And uh, that life was restored when Prometheus and Athena, those are two important people from the Greek pantheon, they breathed life into human images made from mud left by the subsiding waters. Now, the Greek word for image is icon. That shouldn't surprise us. So that's why it's called Iconium. That's where we get this name. It's about 95 miles from the Mediterranean coast. It's, it's uh, currently known as the city of Konya, which is the capital of that province, which would be like our states in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And it says they come into this city and they do the normal thing. They go right to the synagogue and it mentions that they so spake. They spoke in such a way that a great multitude came to Christ. 
And the indication is that the way they spoke brought about this massive response of faith. And for a moment, you just think, yeah, they've been run out of town, but do you remember why they're run out of town in Antioch? They're run out of town in Antioch because everybody at church showed up. I mean, everybody at the synagogue and everybody in the town showed up at the synagogue. All the Gentiles, almost the whole town was there to listen to what they had to say. And so could you imagine the excitement and the passion they must, that must have fueled Paul and Barnabas after getting kicked out? I mean, yeah, we'd been persecuted, but the entire city came out to hear about Jesus and many had believed. God was using them and they wanted to see that happen again. And you know, one of the reasons that we need to be serving is because seeing God work through you, it's like fuel. It's like a spiritual monster drink. You get out there and you see someone, even if I'm not the one who's leading someone to Christ, but I see someone else lead someone to Christ, it just fires me up. I remember one time we were down in downtown Orlando, we were sharing the gospel and man, I had this foul guy, him and his girlfriend came by and passing out tracks and what's this? And he's, you know, just obscenities and he comes right up to my face and he, you can tell he's been drinking and he's just in my face. And I'm talking to this guy for like a half hour. And I'm thinking, God, why am I talking to this guy? He doesn't even, he doesn't want you. He doesn't care about you. But as I was engaging this belligerent, violent individual, his girlfriend started engaging with one of the other guys who came with us, my brother-in-law. And I remember at one point in time, I turned around and she's on her knees on the sidewalk on Church Street, receiving Jesus. Man, I was like, bring me every drunk in the house. You know, I was like, I don't care. That made my night. I just, I didn't, I realized, I was like, you know what? I, I was running interference. But the point is, is when you're out there and you're serving the Lord, there's so often an opportunity comes up to serve in some way and you're like, oh, I'd like to do that. But then the week goes by and you're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to go and I'm tired and I got to get up early for work. And, and then you don't go. And you think, oh, you know, I survived. I didn't go. I survived. But I don't want to just survive, right? One of my favorite songs by Casting Crowns, we were made to thrive, right? That's what God designed us, to really go for it. And so when we, we go and we're, we're a part of these things, it, it does, it fuels us. When we see the Lord moving, it, it gives us courage. It gives us boldness. I mean, I think I want to do that. I, I want to win somebody to Christ. I want to see someone's marriage fixed. You know, leading a child to Christ or praying for someone's marriage and seeing it move on to the process of healing is better than any sporting event high. And I wrote that and I didn't even realize it's Super Bowl Sunday. And so take it or leave it. You can miss church tonight, but you know, we'll pray for you. <laughs> I love sports. I have no one to root for tonight. So, you know, I'm just hoping for a good game that I'll see the second half of. When the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I'm a huge Bucks fan. When they won the Super Bowl in 2002 or whatever it was, I mean, it was like my whole body was just shaking. We're up by four touchdowns and I'm still nervous because it's your team. But the reality here is that we have so much greater to cheer for. We have something so much greater to be excited about. The Lord is doing awesome things, awesome things. And we want to be a part. So, you know, if the Lord lays on your heart to be a part of a ministry, you have lots of things that are going on here at, at Calvary Orlando to be a part, go ahead and go. I know you might be tired, but go ahead and go. I would love to hear the story of what God does when you do. So. so they go and they're just excited and a great multitude comes to faith. Verse two though, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Now we don't have the sermon recorded here, just the awesome results. And yet, even though it was an amazing sermon and tons of people got saved, not everyone liked what they heard. 
And it just goes to show you, there will always be those who disbelieve no matter how well you do. No matter how good of a job you do in presenting the gospel to somebody, they may still choose to not believe. So don't ever let results discourage you. Don't ever let some person, you know, I, uh, we could have the greatest Sunday this morning. And if I get an email or somebody calls me up and says, I didn't really like how you did this. That's the one thing that sticks with you. Because you want everybody to grow. You want everybody to receive from the Lord. So, and if you need to send me an email, that's okay. But my point being is that I think so often because we have a negative experience in sharing the gospel or trying to minister to somebody, it seems like they're hard-hearted or whatever it might be. We tend to forget about all the wonderful opportunities we had to plant seeds, to water seeds, and sometimes to reap a harvest. Don't ever let that discourage you if you have a negative experience sharing your faith. They turn the Gentiles, and probably they're the idea, these obviously are those who didn't believe, turn them against the brethren. Yet, notice this, verse 3, long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. They stayed there for an extensive and considerable amount of time compared to where, they, where before they'd been a very short time in places. They'd come, share the gospel, some people get saved, then they'd go. But here, in contrast to everywhere else in Iconium, they stay for a long time, and it says they speak speaking the word boldly. And what did God do in light of their courage? When the town had turned against them, it says that the Lord came to the witness stand on their behalf by producing supernatural things. For it says here, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, that's Paul and Barnabas, by speaking boldly. And the Lord, he gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted that signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, this is the first mention of multiple supernatural events occurring in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas when they go into a town. We saw Eliamus, the sorcerer, blinded already, but that was a isolated incident. This is the first time that they've actually gone somewhere and a bunch of supernatural things happen. And I have a few thoughts on that because I think that's interesting. Number one, The ministry always starts with the word of grace. The loving message of salvation in Christ freely offered to all who repent and believe. That is where everything starts. Revival doesn't start with us calling down miracles from heaven to draw a crowd. Okay, that is not how revival starts. It is the bold preaching of the gospel and changed hearts. That is how how revival starts, okay? But these supernatural events here in Iconium, it mentions they were granted. In other words, Paul and Barnabas couldn't just do these miracles at will. Now, why did God grant them in this instance? Well, God seems to do the miraculous more in places where enemy forces are openly trying to silence the voices who are preaching the gospel. People ask, why don't we see more miracles? But I believe he is. In India, in Africa, in Iran. If you hear people tell the stories about the things that God is doing in these places, Because God oftentimes, when it seems like no one has the freedom to come to the witness stand to testify on behalf of the truth of this message, that the Lord says, I'll come to the witness stand and I'll prove it. The Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe. So in the preaching of the gospel, very often the Lord will come alongside. And so I would not be surprised as our government and culture becomes even more hostile towards us if we start seeing more supernatural things. You know, in the Muslim world, it's very fascinating. I remember when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I was skeptical. But it's been describing as these dreams, that Jesus has been appearing to these people in dreams. Why? Because they're not allowed to hear the gospel over there. And Jesus loves them. They'll tell a story about an empty cross and a man coming to them to explain to them about Jesus. If you know anything about Islam, you say, that's weird. Well, hold on a moment, though. You know anything about Islam? They don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Many of them believe that Judas was the one who died on the cross as a fitting punishment for betraying Jesus. They believe that Jesus ascended into heaven alive, that he did not die. And so for 
someone to come to them in a dream and say that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. There's only one place that can come from. That's from the Lord. So the Lord is still doing miraculous things. He comes to the witness stand to testify on behalf of the word of grace. It's our job though, to be faithful, to preach the word of grace. And if God wants to do something supernatural, that's up to him. But the multitude of this city was divided. So despite the powerful preaching and the miracles, half the city rejected this message of grace. So again, don't become discouraged because someone doesn't respond to the gospel. Pray, pour out your heart to the Lord for their soul, but never ever grow discouraged and give up. So part held with the Jews, part with the apostles, verse five. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, verse six, they were aware of it and they fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and unto the region that lies round about. So here we see the city is divided, just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. For those of you note takers, you can look at it later. Jesus said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I'm come not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's an interesting verse that Jesus quotes. Would you turn to Micah 7 real quick with me? If you go to the back of the Old Testament, go to Malachi and just start going left a little bit and you'll find Micah. <clears throat> But Jesus quotes this verse, and I think it's fascinating. Because maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you have unsaved family, and it's so hard. Maybe your spouse isn't saved, or maybe you have brothers and siblings that live nearby. They don't know the Lord. They're not saved, and maybe even they give you a hard time. Family events are stressful. Jesus is quoting from Micah 7, 6, but the verse right afterwards is beautiful. This is what Micah says he'll do when these times are there where the son dishonors the father and the daughter rises up against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies are the the men of his own house. Right afterwards in Micah chapter seven, verse seven, what does it say? Micah says, therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. You know, if you're in that situation, this is the solution if you're dealing with those problems where you're part of that division that, that Christ brings because you can't, you can't just be middle ground with Jesus. You gotta pick a side, right? And you picked him. And, and maybe there are those that you love and care about that haven't picked him. And so, you know, what do you do? Well, you look unto the Lord and you wait for the God of your salvation. You rest in him because your God will hear you. You keep praying for that loved one. You keep loving them. You keep ministering to them. You keep dealing with the garbage, the mistreatment, and you trust the Lord. Well, when there was an assault made back here in Acts 14, there was an assault made, verse 5, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They fled. So they finally had enough of these Jesus people. Keep hearing about Jesus. We've had enough of that. And they want to stone him, which shows that the Jews were the leading culprits of this attack, this assault, uh, because the Romans had different ways of dealing with criminals. And so when Paul and Barnabas were aware of it, when they learned about this plot to stone them, they fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. So the first city they come to is Lystra, which you see it's just south of Iconium, not very far. Uh, but it's in the area of Lycaonia, the province of Galatia. It was one of the largest Roman provinces in Asia Minor. So they actually divided it into regions. And Lycaonia was the southernmost region of Galatia. 
So they come to Lystra here first, which is about 20 miles south of Iconium. It was a high tableland, so almost like a, a plateau area at the foot of the Black Mountain. It was ill-watered, but suited for sheep pasture. So it was kind of the backwater of the Roman province of Galatia. They kind of ran things their own way, which will become apparent shortly. Um, but the city of Lystra had been dedicated to Zeus before the Romans conquered the area. And despite being a large Roman city, it still maintains its native ways. It actually had its own language, which will be shown as we go through this passage here. Lystra, though, is also the home city of Timothy, who will later become Paul's protege. So verse 6, it mentions here, they fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. What do they do again? They just give them Jesus. They preached the gospel. The word here, preached, actually means they were continually preaching the gospel. In other words, this was an extensive outreach. Verse 8 will highlight one of the unique days in this outreach. We'll get to that in a moment. But what I think is interesting is there's a lot of days that went on that aren't mentioned here. How many of those days were occupied with faithful service, but not necessarily noteworthy highlights? I suggest this because we can easily become discouraged if nothing grand or earth-shattering occurs in ministry or an area that we're serving. But you know, God's in the business of doing the earth-shattering things. We're to be in the business of doing the faithful things, right? That's our role. That's our role. You know, in Calvary, we're kind of an interesting movement. Sometimes people have a little bit of a hard time placing us because in the 60s, when everybody was kind of turning away all these kids out of the church and they're searching for truth and no one wanted anything to do with them because they were so messed up. All these hippies started getting saved. And it's not just unique to Calvary. There are other groups that that happened with as well. And then we just gave them God. We gave them the word. And I say we as the generation before me. But, you know, loved them, gave them Christ, taught the word. And it grew into a revival. They didn't quite know what to do because it was just this simple thing of teaching the Bible and being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of that, as the enemy always does, there came a group that said, we want to do more of the miraculous. We want more of the supernatural. And so there's a group that broke away and wanted to do their own thing. And they got really weird for a while. And so at Calvary, we kind of, and this is where my generation comes around, is we started to kind of get hush-hush about the Holy Spirit and hush-hush about the supernatural. And, and there was this balance between this one group that was out there into the weird lands. And then he had us who were kind of trying to make sure we didn't get weird. So we kind of pulled away. And I remember as I was at school and beginning to pastor that we started to hear, again, we need to really seek the face of God. We always are going to be people of the word, but we want to be open to whatever God wants to do. We don't want to close it off. I was reading in a, a book called Storm by Jim Simula, and he talks about how he went to go preach at a church, and he was a guest speaker. And so they were gathering together before the service, and the guy who was organizing everything, he said, all right, Joe, you're going to lead the prayer today, and you've got a minute and a half. You went four minutes last time. Make sure you keep it in line, and, and then worship. You guys got 20 minutes, and Jim, you've got 30 minutes to preach, and then we're going to close with a song, four minutes, and then we're done. Out of here by this time. And Jim said, hey, you know, I was wondering if I could have a few moments to lead the congregation in prayer afterwards. He said, no, we don't have time for that. And then he said, let's pray. And he prayed, he said, and Holy Spirit, please direct and lead our service. <laughs> he can't, you've given him no room. There needs to be a flexibility for God to do earth shattering things. We're to be in the business of being faithful. I shared that story because that group that broke away, there was a time when a pastor, he was visiting at Calvary and taught the Bible and, and he was sitting next to the pastor and he said, hey, when, when are you guys going to do something? And the pastor said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, well, when are you going to do something? You know, I mean, I see worship. I see it was assistant pastor he's talking to and the pastor's teaching. You know, he said, well, I don't see anything happening. And he goes, 
Well, we, we believe that we teach the Bible here. We go through the word. He goes, yeah, the Bible's boring. He said, I want to see something. The Bible will never be boring here. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe because I'm doing a poor job of it, but the Bible will never be boring. It speaks words of life to us. You give people Jesus, and then you let him do what he wants, right? Well, verse eight, something earth shattering does occur. And so it says here um, on this one day, we don't know when it was. It says, there sat a certain man at Lystra who was impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. It's almost like Luke wants to get the point across. He's been a cripple, impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. I would think he never walked if he was a cripple from his mother's womb. But the point that I think Luke's trying to say is something supernatural occurred. You need to understand that. It's not natural. It was not a new workout program. This was not changing his diet. This was a supernatural event where God invaded our world. And so it says here that the same heard Paul speak, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. This guy had never walked. It mentions here in verse eight that he sat. He sat and it's in the imperfect tense, which means he always sat there. That's what he did. He couldn't take himself anywhere else. And maybe like this guy, you feel stuck today. Maybe like Job, crying out to God for an explanation and for deliverance. I'm in Job in my devotions right now. And there's a verse there. It's one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. And Job in chapter 17, verse 14, he says, I've said to corruption, you are my father. And to the worm, you are my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Talk about feeling stuck. Corruption, he just, he's just going to rot. That's, all his life is left to do is to just die. And, and he actually, in moments throughout the book, he cries out. He says, God, why don't you just take me? You know, the, I have to confess something. I ran over a squirrel today. I broke my heart. It was, I'm, I'm on my way to church and, I'm, and I'm, I was, you know, wanted to turn around because you see the little tail flapping behind you. And, 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 and I mean, and, and I love animals. So all I'm thinking about is what, what that felt like as the tire. Never mind. Um, I was bothered, you know? And I thought, what a dumb way to die. I mean, I was driving and we're in the neighborhood. I wasn't going that fast. And he just darts out. I mean, right in front and he's, he's gone. I just pray the Lord, you said you're with every bird that falls. Please take, take that poor squirrel's life fast so he can just not have to suffer. And there's sometimes life, I'm afraid. I mean, that's what happened. He got afraid for some reason. He ran across the road and he was over. And sometimes in life we... We get fearful or we're frustrated and we feel crushed. I want to encourage you that God sees and hears. This guy sat in that gate every day, just sat. And God sees and hears even if you don't see him. You never become a common sight, easy to ignore to him. Never. He's able to save you. Well, Paul, it says, as this guy is listening to him speak, he's, the word heard here, again, it's in the imperfect. He's listening the entire message. He's really grasping it. And Paul perceives, it says, Paul steadfastly beholding. Paul sees him and he kind of locks eyes with the guy and he's just looking at him. He's staring at him. And as he's staring at him, he perceives that he had faith to be healed. Now, whether God gave him a word of knowledge or again, the man's response to Christ was written all over his face on the, the emotions he was experiencing, but Paul was telling, he was receiving this message and that 
that he had faith to be healed. And, and the reason I say he's receiving the message is because that word healed there, it's, there's two different words in the Greek for healed. And this one, it means to be made whole. And so therefore it refers to both spiritual and physical healing. So after looking at him long enough while preaching, Paul, he sees this guy is receiving the message and he raises his voice and he tells him to stand up, tells him to do the impossible. Now, whether people in the area had been paying attention as a whole to his preaching or not, they were now because in that culture, you didn't just yell for no reason. And so Paul speaks with a loud voice. He says, hey, stand upright on your feet. And the guy leaped and walked. He jumped up and he just, he's strutting around. He's like, my legs, they work. And he's just doing this. And of course that draws a crowd because they see him every day. This is pretty nutty. See what happens here. Verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in the speech of Lycaonia. In other words, they resort back to their, they're so blown away by this miracle. They resort and revert to their native language. And they start yelling, saying in the speech of the Lycaonians, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They think their gods have come to visit them. Now, it seems that neither Paul or Barnabas knew this language because they don't realize what's going on at first. They don't stop it right away because they don't know what's going on. So they, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, which is the Roman version of Zeus, and Paul Mercurius, who would be the Roman version of Hermes. Uh, Barnabas probably looked more imposing than Paul, so they called him Zeus. Um, Paul described himself in 2 Corinthians 10.10 as not impressive to look at. In fact, he said that was a criticism people gave him. They said, no, he's bold in speech, when his letters, when he writes, but when he shows up, he's kind of puny. People in this life are searching for meaning, purpose, and love. What they don't realize is that all of those things are found in Jesus, and only in Jesus. They may not want to listen, but we still need to go and tell them at every opportunity. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.